welcome to Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things collection development, reader's advisory, and reference right in your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on this journey of all things bookish and library land. As summer approaches, we're all looking forward to longer, sunshinier days, a relaxed pace, long weekends, unless you work in a public library. Then it's go time for summer reading, the busiest time of the year. No matter what your summer reading plans are, you can always add a little horror to the mix. In this episode, I talk to the folks behind Summer Scares, the comprehensive summer reading program for adult, teen, and middle grade readers that uses a selection of horror titles as a jumping off point for super fun programming and for fostering a lifelong love of reading. Summer Scares is a partnership with the Horror Writers Association, United for Libraries, Book Riot, and your friends here at Booklist. First, I talked to librarian and horror expert Becky Spratford and horror author Alma Katsu about the program, and the three of us dive into the selection for adults and teens. Then, audio editor Heather Booth talks to reviewer Suzanne Temple about the particularly delicious thrill of listening to horror on audio. Finally, Books for Youth's Julia Smith and I chat about the Summer Scares selections for middle grade readers and what she's been reading and loving lately. As always, we talk about a lot of books, and as always, you can find the list of titles in the show notes at booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. Want to share that great Booklist Reader's Advisory content with your patrons? Now it's easy with Booklist Reader, a selection of backlist booklists and best ofs designed with your patrons' reading needs in mind. Want to know the best book group books? Booklist Reader has a list. Looking for great middle grade graphic novels? There's a list for that. What about the best mysteries and thrillers on audio? You better believe Booklist Reader has a list for that, too. Best of all, the titles featured are already on your shelves, so no need for frustrating holds cues. Booklist Reader is included with your subscription to Booklist, so you can share this digital magazine on your library's website or newsletters. Find Booklist Reader on booklistonline.com reader issues and start sharing the great reader's advisory content with your patrons today. Almakatsu is the author of historical horror novels such as The Hunger, based on the Donner Party, The Deep, about the Titanic, and most recently The Fervor, which is set during the internment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Becky Spratford is the proprietress of RA for All, which includes RA for All Horror, where you can find all of the Summer Scares info. She's also the author of the Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror, available now from ALA Editions. The three of us chat about how broad the genre of horror is, what horror makes for good discussion, and this year's Summer Scares selections for adults and teens. All of the titles discussed, including the Summer Scares program guide, are linked in the show notes at booklistonline.com slash shelf-care. All right, I'm here with Becky Spratford of RA for All and author of the Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror, and Alma Katsu, author of historical horrors such as The Deep and The Hunger, and whose most recent book, The Fervor, comes out in April this year, which is 2022. Thank you both for joining me to talk about Summer Scares. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. So, Becky, tell us a little bit about Summer Scares and what's new this year. Sure. So, Summer Scares is a reading program sponsored by the Horror Writers Association, Book List, Book Riot and United for Libraries. And the idea of this program is to have library worker vetted horror titles that you can trust to bring into your library at every age level. 
So we pick every year three adult titles, three teen titles, and three middle grade titles with a team of experts, including a specific middle grade expert who is Julia Smith from Booklist, a specific teen expert, Kelly Jensen from Book Riot, myself, and two other librarians, Conrad Stump and Carolyn Chesla. Every year, we always also have a celebrity spokesperson in order to gain interest and make it so that the libraries are excited for this program. But the key thing also with having that new celebrity spokesperson every year, and that person's always an author, is that we get new voices into the selection process. We are always looking at titles that are two to eight years old so that these titles are backlist, not brand new. And we're looking for high interest titles across a broad spectrum of scares. And so when we talk about in a little bit about the titles, we'll talk about how we choose that. We want to make sure we have formats, but we're attracting different readers and providing libraries a vetted list of titles they can trust. And the reason we call it Summer Scares is because we try to jump on the summer reading bandwagon because we know Mm -hmm. that's when people have more time for leisure reading, when libraries already have programs. So we jump on that bandwagon, but we really do believe that you should be promoting these books all year long. And we now have a significant backlist from a few years. And those are also titles people can draw on. So a fun way to incorporate horror into your summer reading. I want to talk about the books you all selected for adult and YA. But first, Alma, I want to, since we have you, I wanted to talk to you about your writing. So you write a lot of historical horror based on real events. You've covered the Donner Party and the Titanic. And then the fervor is about the internment of Japanese Americans in the U.S. What is it about real events that inspires you to write spooky stories? Well, you know, that's a great question because as I was growing up, I never thought of myself as someone who really loved history. But, you know, as I look back, there's been a historical component to all my books, except for the spy novel, which is a little, you know, out of the ordinary for me. And I think it has to do with growing up in an extremely historical part of America. I grew up, you know, just steeped in American, the American Revolution and colonial times and all that up in Massachusetts. But it really lends itself to horror because... (laughs) You know, uh, when especially when you dig into an actual event and you learn all of the, you know, all of the details and all of the crazy things that inevitably happen, you know, you you end up asking yourself a lot of what if questions. Mm-hmm. What if this isn't really the way it appeared? You know, what if it's something else? And especially, you know, after I wrote the first of the historical horror novels, The Hunger, which, as you said, was about the Donner Party, and I saw just really unbelievable things and learned more about what was going on in the country in history at that moment. You know, and I really saw how it paralleled what we were going through in America at the time that I wrote it, which was about 2016. And that's been the case with every book. I mean, there really is a lot of truth in that adage. If we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, you see parallels to the present when you're studying history. And I wonder if you see parallels to reality when you're talking about horror. Does that occur to either of you? Yeah, well, certainly. And I think the last two years have really made people aware of the fact that terror and being afraid is really part and parcel of all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why we're seeing more people starting to embrace horror, whether it's books and stories or on television or movies, the audience is really growing, I think, as people are looking for a way to to deal with the things that they're, that's, you know, stressing them out, making them anxious and afraid. 
And that's a great question, Susan, because one of the reasons we picked the hunger last year for summer scares, and that's how we first got involved with Alma as we sent her around to libraries promoting the program. But one of the reasons, reasons we picked the hunger was because you could have a great discussion about it. Because when we do summer scares, we actually create an entire programming guide around it. And those are available for free. They're created by the Springfield Green County Library in Missouri. And every book we pick gets its own page where you have a write-up about the book, read-alikes, program ideas. And then the entire column on the right-hand side of the page for each entry are book discussion questions. So when we're choosing books, we're thinking about books which would foster great discussions. And the hunger and historical horror in general, but the way Alma writes it, I like to say she is the top of the game right now in historical horror. And when you have those stories, yes, you can discuss the Donner Party and the actual things that happen. But when you look at the discussion questions we've created for this book, of course, it moves you into parallels to today and what else. I think this is especially present in The Fervor, which is about internment and also about anti-views against Asian Americans, which mm -hmm. unfortunately are still going strong today. Alma has a great author's note about it in her book. And I am excited about the opportunity that now that she's the spokesperson, she can talk about historical horror in general, but that book in particular, which deals with exactly what you were asking about, Susan. So, so Alma, is there anything that you're kind of going off of what Becky said? Is there anything you're excited to share as the spokesperson that any, um, what's your agenda, I guess? <laughs> well, you know, I was really honored to be asked because, you know, it's coming at such a great time. As I said, I think horror is really growing. We're seeing new horror, you know, imprints at big publishing houses stand up, bookstores reconstituting their horror sections. You certainly see an abundance of it on TV and streaming services and all that sort of thing. And, you know, I'm really proud to be part of the horror community. It's such, I call it a big tent and it's growing. You know, some people have a specific kind of narrow view of what horror is. And that's why the Summer Scares program is so great, because it's showing librarians that it's broader than maybe what some people think. You know, it's not just gory and gruesome and jump scares and scaring people for the sake of scaring them. You know, it's there's all kinds of books, books that some people might not at first glance even consider horror. But when you look at the content, it's there to help you you know, sort of identify and sort of wrestle with your fears. And that takes a lot of many, many different shapes. So yeah, it's a great program. It's done so much to introduce, you know, all, all different kinds of horror to many different audiences. And hopefully because we're getting the approval of, of libraries, it helps people sort of admit that, hey, it's okay to like these kinds of stories. It's interesting because when Alma came on, every time we have a spokesperson come on to the team, the team's been intact for a few years now. And as I mentioned, they bring a different perspective. And it was so much fun to watch her interact with us during our Zoom meetings. We meet four times. We're all sort of pitching titles and talking to each other. And then when we come down to choosing the finalists, it's about more than just what titles do we like the most, right? Mm -hmm. It's about making sure there's a breadth of experiences and as part of that process, Alma was always having so much fun, like, wow, you librarians know so much. But we were definitely thankful for her influence because there are titles there that we would not have included without the addition of her. 
That's very sweet of you to say. Yeah, their their knowledge is so impressive. It just blew me away and really helped me to see, you know, just the breadth of what's being published today. Yeah, hearing librarians talk about books is like one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> You're in the right job, Susan. Yeah, I know. I'm very fortunate I get to do it a lot. So let's talk about some of the books. Is, is there any is there a personal favorite of each of yours that's on the list or Ooh. one that you really want to shout out and make sure people know about? That's like picking my favorite child. Um, Alma, <laughs> why don't you go first? Oh, oh, that's tough. Well, it's probably the graphic novel. And I'm sorry, I don't have the list up in front of me, so I don't want to slaughter the name. My favorite thing is Monsters my by favorite. Emil Ferris from Fantagraphics 2017. Yeah, that's an incredible, incredible work there. And uh, again, a great example of the diversity that's that's available in, you know, under horror, under the banner of horror. One of the reasons we picked that book, I should say that, and this was something we had to teach Alma about, when we make the whole list of nine titles, we're very careful to make sure that we have a breadth of scares, a breadth of, you know, types of horror, but also format. So there's always stories somewhere in there across the list of nine and always graphic novels. But people are really noticing the graphic novel this year because we did put it in the adult category. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I'm very excited about my favorite thing is Monsters is that it's, first of all, it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Ferris is an amazing artist, but it's a book about how horror is a really great coping mechanism for when life just you just can't deal with things in life. And I think that's a discussion that we're very excited to have with libraries and with patrons about sometimes when the world is terrible, reading about things that are even worse is a great way to deal with your life. I'm also very excited that we have Gabino Iglesias's previous book. To the, he has a really big, his first big five title coming out this summer called The Devil Takes You Home. But this is the book immediately previous to that. And it's one of our small press options. And it's called Coyote Songs. And it was from Broken River Books in 2018. And this book was up for the Bram Stoker Award. And it's it's a mosaic novel in that it's a series of six different vignette stories. They're told as individual chapters and each is complete, but they're woven together into a novel that creates a picture. And then the final title is The Remaking by Clay McLeod Chapman, who also has a book, and that's Quirk 2019. He has another new book coming out this coming summer as well. So that one we picked, you know, Coyote Songs is fairly graphic and very much an issue door oriented book about border crossings in the South of America. But the remaking is a little bit more for people who are a little bit more timid, maybe like you, Susan. It's a... <laughs> retelling of a of an old urban tale that's been made into a movie it has a witch theme and it has a little bit of a true crime feel even though it's fiction in terms of the YA titles we were earlier before this talking about clown in a cornfield by Adam Caesar uh, I know Alma finds that one a little terrifying oh my gosh <laughs> just even the, just the title just the idea of a clown in a cornfield is like it's enough to send me into fits <laughs> and that one is from Harper Teen, and it came out in 2020. It's one of our newer titles, but we picked it precisely because the sequel, Friendo Lives, even scarier, because mm -hmm. the clown's face is right there on the new cover, is coming out this summer. So we wanted to make sure we were getting kids excited, right? That there's a book you can read again. 
And then we have The Companion by Kate Allender, which is from Putnam's Sons Books for Young Readers. It's also 2020. That one is an example of a great creepy gothic story, right? Very traditional and scary in a less visceral way. And finally, we couldn't resist, but we do have a pandemic-esque novel, Agnes at the End of the World by Kelly McWilliams, Little Brown, 2020. Because I, I was thinking, I don't think you've had a pandemic novel on the list before in all the years. Yeah, we resist it. <laughs> we resist it. But this one is is excellent and, and not so on the nose. We looked at a book that had like a flu pandemic previously, mm-hmm. and we thought it was a little too on the nose. But one of the nice things we do besides presenting the titles, and almost involved in these, was involved in these as an author, is that we record panels that we're going to put up on YouTube for everyone with each set of authors. So I'm doing the young adult authors. It'll be up on YouTube for free. And we're going to be talking directly to the teens so that people can use this as a program. There are ones for adult and YA also that will be up there, or sorry, middle grade. And those will be available starting May 16th for everyone for free on the Horror Writers Association's YouTube channel under a Summer Scares playlist. And Alma has done lots of virtual appearances as live at libraries. What what were those like for you, Alma? They were so much fun. I mean, it's such a great opportunity for writers. And I really want to encourage librarians to reach out and take advantage of this program because, you know, the authors will love it. The other thing I have to say is the horror, horror writers are some of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. <laughs> And they'll be so grateful. Don't be scared of them. No, yeah, don't be scared of them. Don't be scared of Gambino, even though he writes like super intense stories. He is the nicest guy. Um, he gives the best hugs, I will say. He does. He does. <laughs> if you can get him in person, you'll get those hugs. But it was a wonderful opportunity because I got to meet with libraries and libra- library patrons from all over the place, like a lot of tiny little towns that you'd otherwise never get to. And here are these people like like me living, you know, I live on a mountaintop, it's pretty lonely up here, who are living in these tiny towns who are not afraid of horror, you know, who are embracing these books. Um, it was so much fun. And, and I really hope libraries will take advantage of this opportunity. That's a great point, Alma. One of our biggest libraries that follows summer scares and has been doing it for a while and actually was on your podcast last year is a library up in the upper peninsula of (laughs) Michigan. And she hosts everybody that she can. She has book discussions. I got to meet with the teen book club last year to discuss all three books after they had met with some of the authors. And we did a discussion together on, on zoom and as she said, there's no way her tiny little town that's super hard to get to could have a way to host these authors. You know, yes, we're right. doing programs with, we had the uh, Philadelphia Free Library last year do some and other large library systems follow along. I know Chicago Public Library does events for us too. You still, you can't replicate that connection. And because we can do virtual and we're, these authors all agree to appear for free while they are a Summer Scares author. That doesn't mean you can't offer them an honorary if you have one, but we do, they will appear for free and we are greatly appreciative of that. And so Alma, as an author, what's the best way, how do you like libraries to approach you? Well, certainly a lot of them have come through the program, but for, for myself, I can say I do have an email address that they can write to and just reach out to me directly. And that's almakatsubooks 
the number two at Gmail. And a lot of authors will have contact information on their websites, but I have yet to learn of any author who turns down being contacted in a DM on Twitter or Instagram or anyway, send a homing pigeon, throw a rock at my house. I will (laughs) respond. Put a clown in the cornfield for you. Yeah, if I saw a clown behind my house, I don't think I'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> clown on a mountaintop. Clown on the mountaintop. That's Adam's third book. No, but seriously, we've also set up a really easy email for libraries anywhere out there who want to connect with the Summer Scares authors or any horror authors at all. And it's just libraries, so with an I-E-S, at horror.org. And that goes to myself and Conrad Stump, and we will reply to you. We're connecting libraries with authors everywhere. We do it regionally. We do it nationally. And we, I yesterday was working with a librarian in New Jersey, getting connected to New Jersey library link to do programming. Um, so that's really easy libraries at horror.org. And if you're a library or an author hearing this, we can help work to connect you with people in your area. Awesome. I love it. So I think this sort of answers my final question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So once libraries have collected all these titles or they've pulled them from the collection because they already had them, they're ready to go with the books. What else can they do to participate in Summer Scares? Well, they can let us know that they're doing the program, right? Because yes, you're absolutely right. Some libraries just pull the books and use our pre-made book discussion lists or questions and our list of programming options because we do have three detailed programming ideas for each. And some libraries don't want to or don't have the time to connect with authors. But if you could reach out to libraries at horror.org and let us know, we're creating a database of libraries that have done the program and followed the program. And we know that you're willing to work with horror authors. And so we connect you. We offer you opportunities for other events. Um, We invite you to things. So we just want to know what's going on and how you're using it and, you know, what your patrons are saying about it. Right. Cool. So is there anything else that I missed that you want to add? Any quick pitches you want to make or a quick last pitch for why libraries should do summer scares? I'm going to let Alma answer that. Okay. Gosh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, just because my brain was somewhere else. <laughs> I, and that somewhere else was, I did want to make sure that that I just re- say thank you to Becky and to Conrad because horror writers and the Horror Writers Association We are so grateful to have them because as you can already tell, right, they're incredible. They are just the best. They're powerhouses. Yeah, they're powerhouses. I don't know how we got so lucky to have you, but, but, you know, we're grateful every day. So thank you. And again, you know, I would just like to really encourage libraries to take advantage of this. You know, as you can see, they put together a tremendous program. They made it super easy for you to, you know, pull out and, and connect with some great books and some great authors give you all the resources. It might just be a really interesting, different thing to do this summer for all your patrons as people are coming back into buildings and we're all getting to see each other again. So please, please, please take advantage of it. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting and we'll see you in the library. Professional development is super important for library staff, but finding the time and the funds is real tricky. Booklist webinars are a great way to squeeze some continuing education into your busy schedule. Each free one-hour webinar covers something staff can take right into their work. Like what? How's about picture books, or sci-fi fantasy books, or craft books, or book group picks, or library management, or library reads? So many topics covered each in one convenient hour. 
register to watch the webinar live, or to be notified when the video is up in the archives. All free. All just one hour. Perfect for those days when you only have enough time off the service desk to eat a sad sandwich in your office. Find upcoming webinars and archives at booklistonline.com webinars. Hello, this is Booklist Audio Editor Heather Booth, and today I am talking with Suzanne Temple. Suzanne works at Novelist. She is one of our reviewers at Booklist. She is a past Odyssey Award committee member, and she is an avid horror fan on audio. So welcome, Suzanne. Thank you. So I want to talk to you today because we're talking about summer scares on the podcast today, and you are a horror fan on audio. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what it is about horror on audio that you find interesting or different or more engaging or different engaging in a different way than reading horror in a print format. I really enjoy a perspective that I may not have come to as a print reader, a narrator can bring a certain perspective that I wouldn't have brought myself. So I recently read a book that had a recovering addict as the main character. And the way that the narrator voiced that was not probably not the way I would have voiced it in my head had I been reading it in print. So I I like having a narrator who does a good job of voicing a perspective that I would not have come to on my own. I, I feel like listening to horror on audio makes it easier for me to remove distractions and become more immersed in the story. For me, the real pleasure is short stories or anthologies with different narrators that really speak to that one story. Whereas if I'm reading a short story collection or an anthology, I may bring to it one voice for all of the characters where really it's a separate voice for each character. So yeah, I I, I mean, I, I love horror in print and I love horror on audio, but there is something special about audio. It's so interesting about the anthologies too. I hadn't thought about it that way but yeah, it if you're a, especially if you're a fast print reader, I can see the inclination to just kind of move from one story to the next. But if you're listening to it, there's a clear break and a change in the narration. Especially which, if you're listening to some to the same author, a short stories by the same author, you yeah. tend to give them the same voice. But really, when you have different narrators for each story, it brings something special to it. That's so interesting. I, I was thinking too about how you said that you find it to be more immersive to listen to it. You get, you're more focused when you're listening to horror on audio, because I think a lot of times people listen while they're doing other things and have the idea that reading a book in print, you're ensconced in your blankets on your couch and it's this fully immersive experience. But for you listening to horror, it maybe does it involve more of your senses or it's just you're you're more sucked in when you're listening? Well, I think that I'm more sucked in mm-hmm. because when I have print, I mean, <laughs> and this is, I guess, personal to myself, but mm-hmm. um, if I fear that there is a character who is going to meet his or her demise, I may like subconsciously mm-hmm. flip to the back to see how many more pages I have. And then I see that person's name and I'm like, okay, phew, this this character is probably not going to meet his or her or their demise. 
but I can't do that with audio. Yeah. It, I, I have no way of alleviating that tension. It, oh. it has to, it, it keeps me, you know, like I, I don't know if this character is going to come to a bad end. Yeah. So I have to keep listening in order to find out what's going to happen. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So do you have, do you have any favorites, like favorite audio horror that you've listened to lately or narrators that you particularly, when you see that they're narrating horror novels, you're like, Ooh, that is definitely what I'm going to listen to instead of reading. I don't know. One of my favorite narrators, and I don't know that he's done any horror is Richard Armitage. Mm. I think he does a great job with thrillers. I also just listened to Gallant by V.E. Schwab, and he did a really good job of setting up the atmosphere, the gothic atmosphere of the story. It was just, that was a very, again, immersive experience for me. Anyone who can do a very understated job of it, I remember listening to Pet Cemetery, read by Michael C. Hall, and mm. that was fantastic as well because he was so understated in his narration that you didn't really know what to expect to come. Yeah. I was thinking of another Stephen King novel that I listened to that had a very understated narration. And so the shock really creeps up on you. Yes, yes, yes. And I also think, you know, those more comedic horror or horror that has a comedy bend to it, when it's an understated performance, it just makes it that much more funny because it's a very dry humor. And I think that somebody who can in narrate in, uh, in an audio book, I think it comes across much funnier because you can hear that dry wit in, in the voice, as opposed to when you're reading it, you may be reading it with a straight voice and then you get to a funny part and you're like, oh, well, that was funny, but I hadn't really been reading it that way. Yeah. Was it funny? Was it supposed to be funny? Right, right. <laughs> and and you and it's hard to sometimes pick that up. So yeah, it was John. I'm sorry, Julian Rin Tut was the was the narrator. Um, oh, of he Gallant. has a wonderful voice. Yes, yeah. yes, I really enjoyed that. So I and and that is somebody that I would look for every time. He also narrated "No One Goes Alone," which was Eric Larson's um, mm-hmm. audio yes. original. That's a gothic ghost story and it's that that's another one where he that the timber of his, his voice just is perfectly suited to that eerie atmosphere mm-hmm. so you mentioned thrillers and i think there is an interesting connection between crime fiction and thrillers and horror as these novels of emotion and the way that a narrator might play a thriller and the way they might read a horror they're similar but it does seem like there's like a different tension. Yeah. I think that thrillers tend to be less understated. There's less of a chill about the voice. It feels less visceral to me, I guess. Whereas with horror, an understated performance brings more of a chill Mm -hmm. (laughs) than Mm -hmm. you would really need with a thriller. With a thriller, more emotion is better to bring about the suspense. Whereas I don't necessarily think that's needed for horror. It's so interesting too, because for those of us who are not really into the horror genre ourselves, it seems like an over-the-top kind of genre. But what I'm hearing you say is that you find the best performances to not be over-the-top, but to be understated. Right, right. 
because I feel like that really enhances the chilling nature of horror. Oh, that's so um, interesting. Yeah, for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody hasn't listened to a horror before on audio, is there a place that you would recommend starting? I mean, I enjoy most Stephen King and and there are some Stephen Kings which are less scary than others. Eleven twenty two sixty three would be oh. a good place to start. Um, that is more of a, I see that one more as sci-fi um, mm-hmm. than straight horror. Billy Summers would also be another one that would be if you're if you're a fan of thrillers, I think Billy Summers is a good next step towards horror. One I really enjoyed on audio, and I think it it speaks really well to audio was, and one of the first books I listened to on audio actually was. Oh. Bird Box by John Mallerman, mm-hmm. because in the book, I don't think this is giving anything away. In the book, the characters can't look outside of their area without dying. Something mm-hmm. is out there that is killing them when they see that with their eyes and they don't know what it is. But the second half of the book is all done with their eyes covered. So all of the sounds that the character is experiencing and explaining, you are also hearing and explaining. You can't, there's nothing to attach to with your eyes. So Mm -hmm. I found that one really interesting to listen to on audio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's so interesting because you're, you're experiencing it more like the characters in the book would experience it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think any Grady Hendrix or Stephen Graham Jones would be a fantastic place to start. If you like like a more humorous read, um, Grady Hendrix would be the way to go for something slightly more serious, but still thought provoking. I think Stephen Graham Jones is a good place to go as well. Yeah, very well done. That that, that The Only Good Indians was, mm-hmm. was very well done. And the narrator also is Blackfeet just like the author is. And so that's always nice. I find when you have a narrator who has a connecting point with the author's background. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. look forward to many more horror reviews from you in the future. Oh, yes. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. So this is Heather Booth with Suzanne Temple for the audio section and book list. You can find us at the back of the magazine and online and happy listening. Say, do you like reading? Do you like hearing what authors have to say about their writing? Then you've just got to hear the Shelf Care interview. It's a quick conversation between a book lister and a book person about their work, their inspiration, and whatever else we can fit in under 15 minutes. Hear Maggie Reagan talk to Ibram X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds about Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. Hear Ronnie Curry chat with Susan Mwadi Daraj and Simon Nurali about their series for young readers, Farah Rocks and Sadiq, or to Saba Tahir, Nicole Andelfinger, and Sonia Lau and their graphic novel, A Thief Among the Trees. Hear Julia Smith talk to Tracy Hecht about the Nocturnal series, and more. Can you believe there's more? You can find the Shelf Care interview right on this here podcast feed or wherever you listen to Booklist Shelf Care the podcast. Happy listening! So Julia Smith is here with us. She's a senior editor in the Books for Youth here at Booklist, and she's also a big part of the Summer Scares program. Hi, Julia. Hi, Susan. So are you ready for Summer Scares, a summer of scariness? 
I so am. We have amazing books this year. I mean, they were amazing last year too, but it's always such a fun process to look through what's out there and what we think kids are going to like and get into. So this year we have The Forgotten Girl by India Hill Brown, which is like in the ghost story sort of camp. Yeah. And it's got some like town history, sleuthing around, that kind of thing. So I feel like there are a lot of touchstones there between like school projects and just kids being curious about the stuff around them. Cool. And then for a slightly younger audience, we have Scary Stories for Young Foxes, which is one of my favorites. And it is sort of like short stories, but it's all got a unified narrative. And it's an older storyteller fox that's trying to like scare the pants off this litter of fox kits who are there really wanting a scary story. Yeah. So you get a bunch of, of different stories following foxes through. It's like the natural world being terrifying as it is. But then some creepy illustrations and little breaks in between each story to, to give kids a chance to like catch their breath. Yeah. Maybe, maybe watch something that's that's funny and light on TV because you know foxes sound very cute and they are but there are some real scares in that book so I think uh you know just to be aware of that going in if if people are wanting a softer horror it's, that's not the soft one no the the softer one is for older middle graders and that's our graphic novel pick which is Beetle and the Hollow Bones, oh. which is just very charming. It sort of has trappings of horror because there's like a goblin and witches and it almost has like an 80s, early 90s vibe going on within yes, that world cool. because there's a lot of like hanging out at the mall. There's the, the main character she is best friends with a ghost that is like its area that it haunts is the mall. So it can't leave. Oh, So she goes there to hang out and they don't like have any money to spend on stuff. So they just like bum around and, and hang out. But then the mall is potentially going to be knocked down. So this is the big crisis in that book because if the mall's gone, then the ghost goes with it. So, oh no, and they're best friends. They're best friends. So, you get some like rival witch families and good magic. And it's just a lot of fun and a little romance thrown in there too. Nice. So, yeah, it's a delight. I love it. And so, when you're picking these books, I, I know you guys look for like, uh, variety of levels of scariness but mm-hmm. is it important that the list represent all different kinds of horror or do you take each book kind of on its own merit we like to have different kinds of horror in the mix as well so we want it to be sort of as broad and dipping into different corners of the genre 
where we can, because it is sort of a program designed to show people the range of horror that is out there. And, you know, I think unless you're just like really tied to realistic fiction, there's going to be something for everyone in these, you know, you might not think of yourself as a horror reader, but there's definitely overlap with just like the fantasy and adventure readers. Right. And, or like a mystery. So there's, there's a lot in there going on. It's not just about the scares or anything. Right. Although the scares are there and are important. They are there. Earlier when I was talking to Alma Katsu and, and Becky Spratford, we talked about how horror has really exploded for adults and teens, like in books, but also in movies and TV. And is that true for younger readers also? Is that having a big renaissance, do you think? That's a good question. You know, I don't know that it is in the same way. Yeah. But I I will see more like comparisons being drawn between like books that are coming out to things like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. like since that was so popular for like the whole family. But it definitely has a lot of horror elements to it. Yeah. And that's getting like so many comparisons in books that are coming out. So I think people are sort of highlighting aspects of of horror in novels that were already there, but now it's becoming a more like marketing, more of a marketing opportunity and a recognition that, yeah, kids like that. Yeah. They're going to be into those aspects of storytelling. So why, why do you think that is? Why do you think kids reach for horror stories? Well, not all of them do. Yeah. And I think that's also important to remember because they, the ones that don't and aren't interested, which is totally fine, they generally know who they are. Right. So I don't think you have to have too big of a worry going in. Like if the, the kids are interested, then they've probably got some sort of other other interest peaked that was already there. So I mean, there are different kinds of scares. I'd say horror can like present, you know, a range of of threatening big world issues, mm-hmm. whether they are, you know, rooted in reality or, you know, monster, monster based and just like the fantasy component, which some people will then take to represent other real world horrors. Yeah. <laughs> and that is legit. But I, you know, the the kids aren't in it for the symbolism. <laughs> I don't mean. Right. But regardless, it's a safe way to experience those situations. So if you're curious about them, if you know, you want to see what's behind that door you're not allowed to go behind or like in that creepy house. It lets you explore those things safely. And sort of as a takeaway, it also kind of shows kids how to be brave. So it, I, I think they can get a lot and it can make them feel braver in their own world if they have witnessed another kid doing something that like 
even if the situation isn't the same, there can be something about it that resonates with them Mm. and that they sort of take to heart. So it is empowering in that way. And I think it shows them a lot of what they're capable of, gives them those tools. And I mean, on the other side, it just can give you like the rush of like the adrenaline rush of a scare, which is its own thing too. And some people just get a real kick out of it. Like I think I I've said it before. Like it's it's sort of to me like going on a roller coaster, where you have the dips and the turns, and it's all very scary. But you're strapped in there, and you know, fingers crossed, nothing will go awry. Right. It is safe to go on that ride. So some people just really like that emotional ride that they go on in the stories too. So I think there's a lot of high stakes and a lot of fun to be had in the midst of like this, the creepiness or, or the scares that could be there along the way. Yeah. So thinking about like real life scares and books that help kids process them, you know, I know that you have one pandemic book in the teen elections this year in your work. Have you seen pandemic books for young readers coming out? I have probably not enough that we would like do a little roundup of titles or anything, but it's definitely there. And, you know, some are, are blatantly about there's, I'm forgetting its title, but there was one by Jake Burt. We'll find it and put it in the show notes. (gasps) Yes. I will send it to you. So it's there, which is, it definitely deals with like sort of a a sci-fi almost setup, but it is, it's got that quarantine life where everyone is just like in their individual apartment units and you don't have contact with other people and like that fear of the outside world that sort of happens with that. And then of course there's a kid who manages to get outside and then has an adventure, but it, it does a good job of like dealing with the, the fear of, you know, what is beyond the safety of your own walls and things that maybe have started from a good place that get almost corrupted along the way as it's just become accepted as the, the way to be the way life is now. And then we don't ask questions about it. So it, I think a lot of times it does sort of kids provide a good opportunity to ask those questions because a lot of things, they don't have that long-term knowledge yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the, Things that seem natural and normal because that's just the way they've been don't actually make a lot of sense when you step back or look at it with fresh eyes. And so it provides an opportunity for the adults around them and the readers to just sort of like look at their own situations or ask those questions and and understand the reasoning behind. Because a lot of times, too, once you remember the the reasons some situations aren't so scary or maybe don't need to be confronted with the apprehension that they have been. Right. So that's sort of another way that they do it. Yeah. I like that. It's like comfort or not comfort. Mm-hmm. That that doesn't I mean that is a very ham fisted way of saying it, but <laughs> It's like at the same time, you're put in sort of an uncomfortable situation, but there's comfort in that uncomfortable situation. Yes, for sure. 
and I'm trying to think of other books that I've seen recently. And I'm mostly seeing nonfiction, honestly, yeah. about yeah. the pandemic. So that's been more common in this age group, but stories that do touch on some kind of like unspecified disease or even historical fiction that looks back at past kind right. of plagues or pandemics. Those are always there, but they definitely pop out more as, as people are, you know, living through one and, and yeah. just as we carry on. Exactly. Yeah. So what do you hope that young patrons get out of summer scares? I hope they just sort of get exposed to some really excellent books and like just have their their reading world opened up a little bit more. Because I think, you know, there is the fun, like very genre, Fear Street, Goosebumps kind of fiction. That, classic. You know, classic has its place. But I think there's just like, that's just the tip of what is there. And I think, you know, it'll, it'll show them more of, of things that they might like reading. I'm hoping it will sort of do the same for the parents. Cause I know a lot of times parents get more nervous about their kids reading a scary book right. than the kid themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, of course, be attuned to what your your kid is reading and and be ready to have some conversations if if something is alarming but also just like give these books a chance cuz mm-hmm. they're really good i mean beetle on the hollow bones was a stonewall honor book and scary stories for young foxes was a newberry honor so it's it's also really fun to see books in in the genre get recognized yeah. as being also just like quality writing and storytelling. And I think that's something all three of these books do so well. So I think I think it's just always fun to learn that you like more things. I don't yeah, know. No, <laughs> Maybe it's just me. I love that. <laughs> especially because like summer you're reading things by choice instead of what your teacher assigns you. Yes. You know, the idea that you're going to learn that reading is fun is like, I mean, that touches every librarian's heart. Right? (laughs) Yeah, I think it is. I think that would be fun for the kids to like all the activities and things and the, the guide that's there for the programming possibilities, but also just to like be able to discuss the books with their friends because... I always liked, you know, even after I like spent my time alone in the closet with my scary book and came out, but then I would like to compare notes with my friends and, you know, which story was like terrifying to you and can you believe this? And it just sort of provides the opportunity for that too. And and fosters a little bit of community around these. I like, I like the idea of like little informal kid book groups just like springing up all over the country. <laughs> Me too. Kids emerging from their <laughs> closets with their flashlights. Yes. Which one was your favorite? That's the hope and dream. It is. <laughs> I believe. I think that's possible. So before I let you go, I have, you know, since I have an editor here, I have to ask you, what have you been reading and loving? Even if it's not horror. <gasps> not horror. I have. Okay. I 
I have two books right now that I have like absolutely loved recently that are very different ends of the the reading spectrum for what I do with work. I have one YA novel. You know what? It would count as horror. I read a super fun, like campy book called Scout's Honor. And it is, it takes like the idea of Girl Scouts, but they now have Ladybird Scouts. And their whole deal is they secretly fight monsters that no one else can see in the community. But they have to do it like on the sly and under the guise of being like very proper women in the community. So they have like tea party lessons and like secret codes and they do a lot of knitting, but their knitting needles are actually weapons for fighting the monsters. I love it. It's super fun. And that one is coming out very soon if it's not already on the shelves, but I highly recommend that. It was just like such a good time and I couldn't wait to get back to it, which is really refreshing. Even when I'm reading some good stuff that can sometimes that feeling can sometimes go away when you have to read so much so quickly so I was just like you know what I can't wait to read and so that one was really great and then my other book I adore is called Sir Ladybug and it's a graphic novel for kind of early readers so they are maybe just getting into chapter books, maybe sort of that beginning reader, early chapter book Mm -hmm. age group. And it was just very darling about a ladybug and his friends. And they, they kind of protect the insect community, but they have very great personalities and charming details and all the illustrations. There's like a really awesome cutaway of their friend, who is a snail of his shell. And you see like this very elaborate interior design with like spiral staircases (laughs) and like a gaming room. And they're like, no wonder he's so slow (laughs) because he's got all of this stuff he's hauling behind him. And it's just super cute. And yes, so that was delightful in its own way. And that one sounds very much not horror. (gasps) Not horror, no. So if you need a break... Exactly. They like save the day by baking cake. So (laughs) yum. Yes. And then I think those are the two. And then I have like a a TBR as we all do. Yes, of course. But one I'm going to try my darndest to get to right now is a biography of Nicolas Cage. Oh, so it's called The Age of Cage. Amazing. And it sort of is a, a look at his four decades in Hollywood. Is it for uh, young readers or is it? No, that one's for adult. So that's even rarer for me to get to, to yeah. take on. But I feel like there's got to be time for that. I bet there's some amazing stories in there. Oh my gosh, there has to be. It's got to be ridiculous. That guy's lived a life. He sure has. You know, he's really doing it. I love it. I love that we're talking about Nicolas Cage right now. (laughs) (laughs) Summer Scares and Nicolas Cage. 
We contain multitudes of book lists. We sure do. That's it for this episode of Shelf Care, the podcast. I hope these conversations get you excited about summer scares and incorporating horror into your summer reading programs. Thanks to Alma, Becky, Heather, Suzanne, and Julia for chatting about books. Just a reminder that all of the titles discussed, including the Summer Scares videos, will be in the show notes at booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. Happy summer reading! Happy summer reading!